Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Lord God, we come to you this morning. What an exciting moment it is to be in your house. A humbling moment to be gathered together for one reason. To be reminded that you are our Savior and our Lord. That you have brought us from the mud and mire and have picked us off the ground. And you have given us standing in your house when we call upon your name. We are not friends, we are family. You have promised us, Lord, that if we call upon you, that we are your family, we are your kids. And for some of us, Lord, that's hard to understand. For some of us, Lord, we've had a rough week. For some have had struggles and trials, and this is the place of respite. This is a place, Lord, where we come to gather back together the tangles and tears and mess of our life, reminded that you are a mighty God, that you are a God that cares over each and every one of us so deeply and intimately, and if we were the only one, you still would have sent your Son for us. May we, as we hear your word this morning, be reminded, Lord, that we are special to you. We may not feel special in some of our relationships or life circumstances, but we are special to you. Lord, as we hear that this morning, may it ring true in our life. May we live our life reflecting that love that has been given to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Passage, uh, we have a couple passages this morning. The first passage is out of Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. <clears throat> Oops, wrong page. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along this ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Matthew chapter 16, 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. May God add his blessing to the reading as we continue singing this morning. We are thankful, Lord. Thankful that this is not all there is in this world. There is a hope much bigger than the life we live today. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would remind us of that. That you would remind us, Lord, that there is more than just this moment and what we do in the next moment. It's much bigger than that. You have created a world where we can spend eternity with you. That's such a blessing to be reminded, Lord, in the dark days and the hard days that there is more than today. In your name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. Yeah, come on, dude, don't you know? <laughs> Uh-oh. I got a really bad problem. <laughs> I printed them and they're still in the printer. <laughs> Would you grab them? <laughs> That's great. Uh, I always said I wanted to try preaching without any notes. I didn't think I wanted to try it this way. That wasn't really the plan. Uh, uh, ridiculous. I probably didn't even print them. <laughs> I probably didn't hit print. If that's the case, goodness. This will bring me out. She'll bring me out four blank pages, <laughs> right as you go. <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, good morning. Uh, I don't know if you were here last week, but I do want to encourage you that uh, we are spending the month of July talking about what it means to be a Baptist and the freedoms that we. Uh, enjoy being a Baptist. Um, the, there is a book, uh, and I want to. I want to. Sh- <laughs> well, here we go, kids. I knew there was that. Ta-da! <laughs> Let me show you a magic trick. <laughs> We're gonna see what happens. Yeah, I have issues. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to share with you, um, I've, been, I've been reading, I read this book before and I read it again and I want to, uh, it, the book is called The Baptist Identity, it's a book by Walter Sheridan, uh, he's an American Baptist, uh, but he shares through, um, he goes through history, uh, the history of the Baptist, he spent a lot of time looking at uh, a bunch of Baptist sermons and Baptist history and trying to understand what makes us Baptist. Now, I, if you weren't here last week, or if you need reminded, this is not so we can say, no, 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 right? You aren't Baptist. No, it's, it's really so we want to understand who we are, what we believe, and why we believe it, and then to help us understand how to share our faith with other different faith backgrounds, because they are different uh, by nature, that's not always right or wrong, but they're different, and I think it's important to understand. Now, for some of us, it's going to be like, 
no, this is just my Christian experience. You're just, you're just saying uh, things about what it looks like to be a Christian. And I would say uh, partly, very much so, yes. But, the, but part of that reason is, as we talked last week, Bible freedom means that we see Scripture as our sole, very first uh, line of defense. That's where we go when we want to find out what we're going to do in life or how we're going to do something in life, how to act, how to react, how to. That's where we go first, right? And so, so for us, going to Scripture first uh, is a natural thing. And I tell you that because not every denomination does that happen. We talked last week about um, for a long time the Catholic Church uh, studied Scripture in Latin and no one knew Latin. So people would come to the church to hear a message, but they couldn't read the Latin. So, so it's a very different. So for some of us, it's going to be like, well, yeah, that's the only way I've ever done Christianity, um, Baptist or not. And some of us, and when I came here, I originally came here, I said, I don't need to be a Baptist. I'll just come. I don't need to be a member of this church. I'm going to do the same things I'm going to do, whether I'm he, uh, a member or not. I want to be a Christian first, uh, and Baptist is just a word, right? It's just a word we use uh, to put on the sign out back. Um, but I want to share with you some of the very distinctive things that happen, um, the way we act, the way we uh, react in our Baptist faith, uh, a couple things that I think uh, helps us understand who we are, because I think that's important. It's, un it's important to understand who we are in our faith um, so that we can share that with other people. Um, and so last week we talked about Bible freedom. This week we'll be talking about soul freedom. Uh, next, next week will be church and then religious freedom finally. And, and this is how the book is laid out like this. And I, and I like the way it's uh, set up. It really keeps it simple and easy for uh, us to think about um, what freedom means, right? Because um, freedom is important. If you if you're live in America, freedom is an important thing, right? We, we, don't take, we do take it for granted, but... We like to celebrate it. Uh, July is our, a great month to do that. Um, and so I want to uh, spend a little bit of time talking about what soul freedom looks like. Really disappointed that I don't have my notes. So, oh, uh, so this is what uh, Sheridan says this is soul freedom. The right and responsibility of every person to deal with God. Did you see the right and responsibility of every person to deal with God without the imposition of creed, interference of clergy, and intervention of civil government. Did you see that I underlined the right and responsibility? So we have this right to our soul. We also have a responsibility. Someone loves me way better than I love me. You're the bomb. I don't know who got him. I do appreciate him. God is good. Okay, let's start again. No. <laughs> Thank you for my notes. I do appreciate them. Um, so we've talked. To, so I want to talk a little bit about what it means to have our, our right and responsibility to our souls. Now, first of all, we need to we need to decide where our soul is. So if you would do for me one second, point to yourself, not your friends. Don't touch your neighbors. Where your soul is. Show me where your soul is, and not on the bottom of your shoe. Ah, Ken, see, I knew Kenny was going to go there, so I, 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 Ken, I thought all week about you, you know. So tell me where your soul is. Where's your soul, Where's your soul Bobby? Well, now I'm, now I'm scared. Where's your soul? Wait a minute. 
Somewhere. It's got to be somewhere, right? Where is it? The whole thing. Kim says it's, 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 it's all of this. It's, this is the soul. Would you like to Yeah, Is that the soul? Little disco? Yeah. No, that's not the soul. So where's your soul, right? What do we, in America, we say it's in our what? It's in our heart, right? I put God in my heart. So we like to put him here. Do you know where the Jews in, 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 in Scripture, where they put God? In their guts, right? I want to put them in my bowels, in my guts. Uh, obviously, we, both, we all know that we don't really know where our, what it looks like, right? We can't, I mean, there have been lots of scientists that, that have put people on their deathbed and tried to measure our soul. Have you heard that? They put them on a scale that measures like grams, and as soon as someone dies, it, they try to measure like, oh, there was three ounces of soul, and that went out of I don't understand it, right? I don't understand that thought process. But, but you get my point. We don't really, it's hard to get a hold of where our soul is. So we know we have a body and it's physical, right? And scripture says it was created out of the dust. And so we can get that because we, we understand it was created out of the dust in God's image. And in scripture it says to dust it will return, Right? And, and, and that makes sense to us, right? We know that, origi- uh, that we were originally dust, we will return to dust. But our soul is spiritual. It's not physical. And in, uh, in Genesis 1.27, where, uh, where I read this morning, it says, we are created in God's image. And we talked about this a couple week, weeks ago, God, Imago Dei, right? Image of God. Somehow God breathed life into us. And to help you understand that, um, it's a little bit morbid, but to help you understand it, I think it's best understood when we go to a funeral home, right? When we go to a funeral home, we see someone laying there, someone lifeless. There's nothing there, right? And everyone always says it it doesn't really look like them, or you know, sometimes we're really morbid and say, well, it looks kind of good, but I'm not sure that that's good. Right? <laughs> I mean, and, and we say those things, I think, to just try to make sense of it in our mind. But the reality is this. When we see a, a person's body laying there, we immediately know it's not really them. Right? And what is missing from that person at that moment? It's a, that's a question. You can answer that question. What is, what's that? Their soul, for one, right? And what do we see that's missing? Life, right? There's life. There's, there, there's no smile. There's no, I mean, if they're growly, right? There's no growl. There's no, there's no attitude. People's eyebrows don't move. And, and their facial expression isn't there. There's, there's no life. No pain. Yeah, for some, there's, exactly, for some there would be pain. But we realize that very quickly there's not something there. There's something really important missing. It's really just that body Minus the soul. The soul is not there at that moment. And so as we talk about that, it's, it's important to know, well, we don't know where our soul is, right? Bobby doesn't have one. Um, so he says, I don't believe him. He tells stories. But we have a soul. We don't know, really know where it's at, but, and it's hard to grasp, but we understand that we have a soul. And it was breathed into us by God right? It was breathed into us. God breathed the breath into us that we call life. And that is where our soul is. We are the image of God. I want to, 
Um, oh, those are the four, those are the four areas we're going to look at today. Center, it's, it's individualistic, it's uh, very personal, um, conviction or conversion by conviction. I, we'll talk about that and then what baptism looks like. But uh, first of all, it centers on the individual. And in the scripture we looked at, whoops, didn't turn. Uh, the scripture we looked at this morning was Matthew 16, uh, 13 through 20. And Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, who do the people say the son of man is? Who do they say that this son of man is? Who do they say that I am? And, and at that moment, you realize that, um, that each person gets to pick who Jesus is. There is an individualistic idea um, to our faith. Each of us have a soul that has to make us a decision for ourselves. That's important to know. There's value in us making our own decision. And it happens to be that Baptists, I think, uh, do a great job of understanding that for uh, a lot of reasons. But they under, we understand that we have a personal faith that we have to choose for our own. You've probably heard it a hundred times that God has no grandchildren. Did you ever hear that statement? And maybe you don't, maybe you haven't really thought through that. God has no grandchildren. That means you're not gonna, you're not gonna hang on the coattail of uh, of your mom and dad. You're not gonna hang on your grandparents' faith. You're not gonna hang on uh, some saint you go to church with who prayed for you every week's faith. You have to deal with your faith on a very personal level. It's you. It's you and God. It, it doesn't. It doesn't connect to, uh, the, it's not that we're not connected to the community of the Baptist church, but, but it's our own faith. It's our faith that we have with God and God alone. It's uh, back and forth, right? And scripture reminds us, I, I played that video this morning, um, but I want to share that, the passage that was spoken in there. Uh, it says, you created me in my mother's womb. I am perfectly and wonderfully made. And that whole Psalm 139 talks about how special God sees us. And God sees each and every one of us. And I think uh, we live in a world where that's not really touted a whole lot, right? Um, in fact, we would go, I would go as far as to say that the world would say, you aren't all that special, right? There's, a, there's whatever billion people. And you aren't that special. And God speaks totally opposite of that. God speaks into the wife, into our life, that you are special and you are wonderfully made and that he knew us before we were born. Think about that for a moment. He knew us when we made mistakes and he still loves us. He knew us when we turned our back on him and he still loves us. That's powerful. He didn't have to love us, right? And for some of us, when someone turns their back on us, what do we do? You're dead to me. I'll not speak to you again. I don't want to talk to you. You lose value. For God, he continued to be there. And hopefully when you heard that uh, poetry, uh, that, that stuck in your head, that, that she, said, she hesitated and said, um, and God would still be there waiting for me when I came back around. What does that mean for us as Baptists? It means we uh, offer respect to those who haven't made that decision about their faith uh, at that moment. Now, I was thinking about singing the R-E-S-P-E-C-T, but I thought about it. Enough miracles for one day. Thank you, Ken. (laughs) Enough miracles for one day. Good point, Ken. 
<laughs> but I, I offer this because one of the struggles I think that we have with our faith is we're, we're told to share our faith, right? In Matthew 28, it talks about go into the world and share your faith. And what happens the moment someone rejects us and says, I'm not really interested in your faith today. We struggle with that because we're like, well, did I, obviously I did something wrong or I didn't share it the way I was supposed to or I didn't say it emotionally enough to connect to them to make them understand how important it is and so they chose not to follow God. And for me, as a good Baptist, it means that they, like I, had a choice. They, like I, have a choice to make a decision to follow God or not follow God. And at the end of the day, it's not my decision to make for them. See, sometimes we have a hard time with that because we're like, no, you need to understand. No, you don't understand. You don't understand. And then we end up beating them with the scripture because we think, if you, obviously you're stupid because if you understood, why wouldn't you want to have my faith? And the reality is this, that we have to respect that they have free will like we have free will. They have a choice to make about their faith just like we have a choice. And it's not a failure when we share our faith and they choose not to follow. That is not a reflection on us. Our job is to share our faith. Paul says, listen, some of us uh, plant the seed, some of us water the seed, but uh, God is the one who makes it grow, right? And so we need to respect that there are other faiths and other ideas. and other. That doesn't mean we are okay or agree with them, but we do understand that they may not be where we are. Because, and I will offer this as a reminder, that we weren't always uh, following God either. At some point in our life, we were enemies of the cross. Now, for some of us, it may have been at a real young age. Some of us come in later. Either way, at some point, we have been enemies of the cross. And so it brings about this understanding. So what do we do with our unsaved loved ones? What do we do with those who struggle to hear that message? And I'll encourage you to, to really to, to consider this. You share your faith. You pray for them. And most importantly, be an example for them. Right? Sometimes saying nothing is the most powerful thing we can do. Sometimes being an example of God's love is the most important thing we can do. And don't give up praying for them. I know people who have prayed for years and years and years. Jim King tells a story. He's not here to defend himself so I can talk about him, right? Um, <laughs> Jim King tells a story about his grandmother, strong in the faith, while he was in the military wandering and wandering and wandering and doing things he, he knew was wrong. And he said, you know what? My grandma never gave up praying for me. She continued to pray for me day after day after day. He says, I know she did. And at some point, I finally figured it out and I came around uh, and saw God working in my life. Second thing is that it's uh, primarily personal. And obviously these two are tied together. But Jesus... Ask Peter specifically, who do you say I am? And so I'll ask you that question. Who do you say Jesus is? 
You know, the Muslims think he's, the Muslims think he's a great prophet. You realize that, right? They don't, they, don't say, they don't deny that he exists. They say he's a prophet. There are lots of faiths who say that Jesus is one way to get to heaven. But Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? Who do you think I am? Who am I to you, is what he's asking, right? He's asking Peter for a personal response. How will you respond to that question? See, fear is a great motivator for a time, right? And we do that with our kids. <laughs> if you don't quit acting up, I'm going to beat you, <laughs> right? We do that. Um, we, we laugh about it, but that's what happens behind closed doors, right? We're like, ah, I'm going to slap your hand. Oh, you're going to be in a corner. You're going to be grounded, whatever you pick, right? You will not go to your friend's house if you don't turn this around. If you don't, I just saw a post on Facebook. My kids are not going to church camp for the week if they don't clean and do their laundry. Well, yeah, okay. That might work temporarily. But I asked myself this, will it work for the long haul? Probably not. I used to work for a guy, loved him dearly, uh, but he thought you had to, you had to uh, boss people around with fear. And when he was there, people towed the line, right? One time I tried to buck him. I was on the phone. He was on the phone in another building, and it didn't end well. I don't remember. I don't, there was probably not good things said both ways. And uh, when I hung up, he said, uh, you're about to be fired, and he hung up the phone. Click. <laughs> and less than two minutes, he had gone probably a, almost a quarter mile. <laughs> and I thought, well, this is the end. <laughs> and he took me up in the office, and I didn't get fired. I was fine. Uh -huh. But here's what happened when he wasn't there. Every day he took vacation, people would slack off. People would do half the work they did when he wasn't there to push them and force them and scare them into doing their job. And at some point, it finally got to the point where people just didn't care anymore. They just did what they wanted to do. And when he retired, we were not better from it because we had learned to do our jobs in fear and not to learn to do our jobs um, because it fulfilled us or that we found something good there or that it was good for us. We didn't learn that. We learned that we would get a beat down. We might get fired. We might get, we definitely would get yelled at and spit on sometimes. I mean, it was just kind of crazy. But we didn't learn that we could do this out of love. We learned that we could do it out of, or we had to do it out of fear. And I'm reminded what God's decisions look like uh, in John, 1 John 4.18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It casts out fear. You don't, we don't make... Sure, we can, we can talk about Scripture, and I could scare you to believe, right? For a time. But that's not why we believe or want to follow God. If, that, if we're following Him just as a get-out-of-hell-free uh, card... That doesn't last forever. It kind of wanes as we get older and we begin to think about other things. And, and, and sure, it might work for the short term when we're a child and we're afraid that if we die. But that's not what God wants for us. He wants a relationship, a connection. 
And he wants to give us that choice. Now, uh, I want to share with you out of Jeremiah that this was always God's plan. This is 600 years before Jesus would come. And, he, and he tell, Jeremiah says, I, put, I write the laws on their hearts and their minds. That's what God is telling Jeremiah. That he put into our hearts and our minds an opportunity to make that decision. Long, long before he prepared his people for God. Conversion by conviction. How does Peter respond to Jesus' question. Who am I, Jesus says. Who do you say I am? Jesus says that to Paul, or Paul Peter. And, he's, and Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He's asking Peter to make a decision for himself. He's asking him to make that personal decision to either follow him or be like the crowd. Who do the, who do the other people say I am? Peter, who do you say I am? Who are you? There needs to be a decision. And that's what God says. Peter, you need to make a decision. You need to decide where you're going to go. Which, which choice will you make, right? See, because love can't be forced. But there are some words that don't go together. Forced love can't go together. Right? We can force labor, we can force slavery, we can force compliance, but love cannot be forced. If you force love, it's no longer love. Think about that for a moment. We have to do it on our own volition. We have to do it because we have made that decision. And God gives us a great example in marriage, right? We get together and we, we get together with someone voluntarily. We make covenant. We are connected because of love. Now, love is not this frilly, uh, happy, uh, fluffy kind of idea. It's actually really deep and dark and sacrificial and strong, way stronger than the ups and downs of any given day in our life. Scripture reminds us we will have to give an account of our, of our life to God. We will have to give an account for each of our souls. Now one of the things that we do uh, here regularly, uh, whether we say it or it's implied, is that uh, at the end of the service we always offer the altar as a place to come to pray. Uh, I'd love to pray with you or anyone else and we do that because we believe that each and every week there's someone here who has to make that decision, right? And to not give that altar or give an opportunity for that person to come forward and pray would be not giving that opportunity for that soul to be saved uh, and, and giving that opportunity a chance uh, to be out in the open. Finally, uh, baptism... Uh, is for believers. And we know the, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. Philip hears the message. He wants to understand. He finally understands. And he, say, and he finds a mud puddle and they go. And they, uh, he gets baptized. That is a very big distinctive difference in the Baptist church, is it not? We don't sprinkle uh, brand new newborns for one reason. 
and it goes back to the other. That's individual, right? And so a child at two months old cannot make a decision about their faith. That's, it just doesn't work. There's no way for them to be able to make that decision. And so one of the things that we always uh, do in baptism is that we ask the person uh, why they're there, right? Why, why, why did you come? Why, why do you want to be baptized? It's so that they have an opportunity to share that God has challenged them and moved them and put them in the spot where they want to grow. And so I offer that. If, you, if that is something that you have not, been, have not done, uh, it's an act of obedience. An opportunity for God to work in your life to say, listen, publicly, I have not made that decision. There's a blessing that comes with baptism. I always tell people, there's nothing in the water, right? It's not magical water. There's, it's just water. If we go down to the lake, it's just water. The magic, per se, is that God sees that you have made a decision and you have uh, done that in a public setting for others to see that you will follow him. I bring that up because uh, for two reasons. Next Sunday, if you're interested in uh, understanding more about baptism and membership and uh, the, the workings of this church, we will be having... Uh, a class right after second service, so 12.30 to like 2.30. Um, and we will go over in two hours um, really some of the ideas and the, some of these distinctives and understanding why, and we'll look a little deeper at Scripture. But we'll have the opportunity to talk about what baptism looks like, why do we do communion the way we do it, um, what does being a member of this church mean. I would encourage you, and, and there's, I, I always tell, there's no, like, you don't have to go to the end and sign your life away. That's not the goal of the, the class. The goal of the class is to give you an opportunity to understand a little bit better about what it means to be a member of Greenfield Baptist Church. If you decide not to do anything, I'm okay with that, as long as you've thought that through. And if you want to take that next step and be a member, then I'm excited because, because there's some accountability that comes with membership. The other thing I want to share with you is that August 20th, we will be doing a, we've done, I don't know, three or four years, we've done a, a, a picnic and baptism down at uh, Freeport Beach. Uh, and every year, and, and this year too, uh, we, we do a baptism at, uh, after we eat supper. And uh, we go down into the, we we go down into the side creek because it's a little bit less uh, wavy. <laughs> um, but it's an opportunity to go down and to share uh, in that moment of time where we can, where we can uh, be baptized if you have not been baptized as an adult and you have not made that decision. Um, I offer that, uh, the, but you'll need to let me know so we can talk about that beforehand. fact of the matter is you need to decide. You need to decide where you are in your faith, where you want your soul to go, and whether you're going to let God work in your life. Because Jesus is asking the same question he asked Peter, right? Who do you say I am? Psalm 62 one reminds us there's only one, one place we're going to find rest. doesn't take long to to see that there are lots of people trying lots of things to find rest. Drugs, alcohol, fast cars, whatever. It doesn't matter. I mean, things of the world, right? 
meditation for some. There, there, there is this, this striving to find rest. And there's only one place you will find rest. And that's inside of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you this morning. We are so thankful for your word. Thankful, Lord, to be reminded that we were created in your image. We were created, Lord, to look like you. We are your kids if we believe you. And Lord, we're reminded that Jesus asked Peter the same question he asked us. Who do you say I am? Am I just a guy walking down the street, a nice, a good prophet, a guy with good philosophy? Or am I the Savior of the world? And Lord, for each one of us, we have to make that decision. Each one of us have to decide where we want to put you in our life. Lord, thank you that you have given us a choice to make. Lord, may we make the choice that you would have for us. In your name we pray. Amen.